Greetings from New Jersey Institute of Technology. My name is Mike Small and I'm Executive Director of the Alumni Relations Office at NJIT. I'm very pleased to welcome you to our latest Highlander chat, our virtual tour of NJIT Makerspace with Professor Dan Bateris. Dan received his bachelor's degree in electrical and computer engineering and his master's degree in electrical engineering from Rowan University in New Jersey. In 2008, Daniel and three of his classmates started Atlanticus Innovations LLC, a product design and development firm that specializes in lighting, wireless, and mobile application technology. Dan has also been a director of the NJIT Makerspace for several years, and he was an instrumental part of bringing Makerspace and its expansion to the NJIT campus. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, you're welcome. How's everyone doing today? Hope you all can hear me uh, very well. Um, very happy to be here and leading you on this uh, virtual tour of NGIT's Makerspace. So where uh, I would like to start is just showing you our website and a couple of cool things you can find there. And then we have a nice uh, virtual tour of the space we're gonna virtually walk through. So uh, this is our, 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 Ma our Makerspace website and uh, kind of where you can find out um, anything you want to know about our space. Um, you can see all the trainings that we have. You can see a listing of all the equipment that we have. And, and we'll come across a lot of this equipment as we um, go through the virtual tour. But uh, one of the cool things is if you, if you are curious about a piece of equipment here, you can just find that piece of equipment and kind of click on it. it tells you a lot about that equipment. It brings you to some of our staff members who are experts on that equipment. Uh, and you can get links to the manufacturer's website, uh, all the stuff about our equipment and our policies here, how we do training, um, and then um, you know who works here and all sorts of things. So this this is a great place to get some information. Uh, as you can see, we we have quite a bit of students that are that staff our space. So we have a pretty uh, interesting staffing model, which uh, we have a couple full time staff, but. Uh, a majority of the training uh, and the supervision is actually conducted by uh, students. Uh, and that's really great because it gets the students very involved um, and uh, it kind of takes some of the edge away from walking up to one of these large pieces of equipment when uh, another student has some uh, experience with it and kind of leads you along with it as well. So uh, I'd encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, there's some really good information there. Um, but uh, here is our virtual tour. So where we're standing right now is outside the makerspace. Uh, the makerspace uh, is about two and a half years old now. And uh, this space previously was uh, a manufacturing shop at NGIT. Uh, and it went through um, a major facelift, uh, a complete uh, you know, a soup to nuts uh, renovation um, to turn it into the NGIT makerspace. Um, now, if you're not familiar with what a makerspace is, I think this is a good time to, to talk about uh, what a makerspace is. So you can think of this makerspace in many ways, um, but the way that we prefer to think of it is it's like a gym, like an athletic facility. So, you know, NGIT has a great gym and we have a great makerspace. Uh, you can choose to go to the gym and, you know, work on your uh, fitness uh, and you can choose to come to the makerspace and work on your skills for building design and engineering. Um, and that's what this place is. It is freely available to any student staff member, and we are working on an alumni membership uh, as we speak. Uh, you can come into this space, uh, have someone show you different pieces of equipment, have training on different pieces of equipment, uh, and you can pretty much make whatever you'd like in the space. Uh, and you can um, you can make things that are for your coursework. Uh, so students can be required by their faculty uh, members to come here and build something for class, or they could assign them a final project or a senior design project to use this facility. Uh, or you can come here as a student and work on a hobby uh, or a gift. So we have uh, around Christmas time and around the holidays, we have students coming in and making things that they you know, plan to gift to their friends and family. Uh, that's allowed and okay and even encouraged because any, anything that we can encourage students to do that get them experience building uh, is, is a positive for us. Uh, you could also come in here and work on prototypes for something you need to turn to a, uh, a business or um, you know a prototype or something like that. You can work on that here. Um, and the great thing about this facility and, and our campus is that if you do that as a student, uh, if you come here and work on something you want to turn into a business, uh, you keep the intellectual property uh, associated with that. Now, unless 
NGIT invests serious, substantial resources into you, uh, then we come up with some kind of sharing agreement. But if you come here and you work on things on your own without asking NGIT for you know, tens of thousands of dollars, you get to keep the intellectual property that you uh, build here. Uh, so this is outside the makerspace. We have these screens uh, outside the space um, that tell uh, current events going on around campus, current things happening um, in in the makerspace uh, and trainings that are upcoming uh, and the like. Uh, and this is um, no longer a 10,000 square foot facility. So we, uh, as we get to the second part of our tour, uh, we'll take a look at the new extension to the makerspace, which is about another 10,000 square feet that we added. So uh, let's go on in here. We'll go into the makerspace. Uh, and this is uh, this is our, ooh, actually, hold on, let me back, uh, back out there. Um, this is our, uh, the front of our makerspace, it's our reception desk. We usually have a student or a staff member working there to answer questions and help with that. And then we also have uh, some turnstiles here. This is just, uh, access control and data collection for us so that we can um, uh, know how long people are spending there, adjust our hours for and, and capacity for high demand times. Uh, we actually get a, a lot of very, very useful information uh, out of the access control systems here. Um, and uh, it's not in this tour yet because it's not 100% done, but if you look in the center of the screen by my cursor, kind of behind the desk, that is our new wood shop, which we don't have on this tour because it's it's almost done, but it's not completely done. But we have a very nice, uh, about 1,100 square foot uh, wood shop going in back over there. Um, actually, we're just putting the finishing touches on it in the next uh, few days, I think. Um, so when we enter the space here, uh, this brings us into our what we call our computer-controlled metal cutting area. Uh, so the machines you see here uh, in front of you are large industrial machines, uh, and they are all computer-controlled. So this machine here, this is a Haas VF4. This is a four-axis uh, CNC machining center. So what we use this machine for is we, we take a computer, uh, we bring a 3D model of a part that we want to cut from a piece of metal. So we start with a piece of metal or plastic or wood, um, and we uh, put that piece of metal into the machine, and then on a separate computer, we bring up a model of the part that we want to make from that raw material. And we, we program that machine to uh, spin a cutting tool and to cut material away. Um, it's pretty cool. We, we use this machine uh, quite frequently to make parts. Our, our student teams uh, can get training on these machines to use them to make parts for their student projects. Um, these are very, uh, very practical. Uh, but expensive, uh, but very practical and very heavily used machines, uh, and they uh, they require a good deal of expertise to get to get proficient at. But we have the staff and training to help our students learn that. Uh, and then, uh, kind of to the left of that machine, uh, there's smaller versions of that machine. Um, this right here in front of you is, is one of the ways we control tools in our space. So we try to organize everything very nicely. Uh, and then this little controller on there, uh, if you tap your ID card on it, it will let you into these this tool cabinet um, to, to get tools. And then we have a record of who accessed what um, and make sure everything comes back. And then uh, this yellow machine on the left here is called a wire EDM. So this is, this is a very precision machine. This uses electricity and wire to cut metal. Uh, it's a pretty cool machine. We use this for doing... Um, very, very precision metal cutting. Uh, this can cut down to uh, millionths of an inch, essentially, if, if we're being really, really careful with it. So um, this is a precision metal cutting machine. It's not very fast, but it cuts things uh, extremely precision and extremely smoothly. So we can cut things without leaving burrs and edges. So uh, we actually use this for prototyping and cutting a lot of medical parts that we, uh, we work with uh, because it, it leaves very, very uh, precision, smooth edges. Um, so like one of the last things we cut on it was we cut very specific little features into uh, surgical guides. Uh, and uh, basically, you can't have any burrs on a surgical guide because it's places for bacteria to uh, collect and it could cause damage. So this is the only real way to cut things in an exceptionally smooth way. Uh, and then we have more computer controlled equipment. These are all just different variants of 
of the same basic technology, but this this machine ahead of us now is a lathe. So instead of the tool rotating, the part rotates. So uh, same kind of technology, but a different style. And then the same thing with this machine in front of us here. This is a five axis machine. And what that means is that the the machine can has five axes of movement. So it can move in X, Y, and Z. Uh, and then it can also rotate around X and Y. So we can actually get to five sides of a part uh, and put features in at all sorts of different angles. So it's a very useful machine. Um, people uh, used to kind of shy away from programming those machines because they were they used to be very, very difficult to program, but they are, are getting phenomenally easier. And this uh, having these kind of machines uh, gives us a lot of capability to build things very quickly and very uh, uh, precision, precisionly. Um, so uh, we're moving over now into another area of the space. Um, this is a, if you look in front of you, you'll see these tables. This is actually a machine that we brought in. Um, we bought it used and that came with its own share of problems, but uh, we brought this machine in very, very quickly at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and you actually can't really see the machine. I'll see if we can get a better view of it. But this machine was making, um, if you can see these stacks of material, this machine was making uh, from raw material the uh, face shield, the actual shield component of a face shield that NGIT produced um, for uh, local hospitals. Actually, let me see if I can show you a picture of that. Uh, I think, home. Oh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I have that. Uh, oh, right here. Uh, well, there's me, <laughs> but, uh, this is our face shield. So we produced this face shield in the, in the makerspace. Um, and we've done about 20, I think we did about 22,000 of them. And, um, this is one of the one of the uh, benefits of having a space like this, but also one of the reasons that uh, we emphasize uh, responsible engineering and very um, uh, very methodical engineering. So uh, I think this is a relevant story that I can tell really quickly. So at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, the the making community, which is a community across the country and across the world that just loves to make things. Um, they responded to a lot of the issues uh, that were happening with supply chain um, for protective equipment. And um, what they started doing was, was trying to 3D print uh, items that people needed in medical settings like masks and shields. And uh, they actually, uh, were, was, it was a very noble goal, let's say that, but they 3D printed uh, parts actually are very porous, uh, which means even if it's plastic, the plastic has more, more little tiny microscopic cavities in it than normal plastic. And um, that was actually a major problem because it brought, thing, it brought items into hospital settings that were non-cleanable. And uh, basically uh, you could use them once and then you had to throw them away. So it became extraordinarily wasteful. So we, um, we got a couple students that were very interested in helping and we got myself and a couple other of our staff members together and we said what can we do to be responsible in what we design and where can we have a big impact and what we decided was we could design a shield that was rapidly buildable but not relying on 3d printed parts so that it could be reused so we built these shields um, from extruded uh, plastic sheets that were uh, cut with a computer-controlled knife, uh, and then parts of the band were injection-molded uh, and or laser-cut. And what that gave us was a part that was very responsibly engineered, which we could build each shield in a matter of minutes, uh, and it was fully cleanable and fully sterilizable. So um, we, uh, instead of these 3D-printed shields that the world was producing, uh, you know, in mass that were only uh, able to be used once. Uh, as soon as you touch them, as soon as you took them off, the hospital said you had to throw them away. Uh, these were able to be cleaned, uh, sterilized uh, with uh, any of the medical grade cleaners. And we were getting these uh, shields uh, feedback about them being used for about a month before they started to mechanically fail. Uh, so um, we think we did a really good job there. And the thing that's really remarkable about this was we used our rapid prototyping capabilities to do it. 
and we heavily involved uh, students and staff together. And we went from concept to implementation in about um, about two weeks. Uh, and we didn't scale up to full full uh, scale production that quickly, but we went from concept to here's our final prototype that works that we can build in, in about two weeks. So it was really, really quite incredible. Um, and the students and the staff were heavily involved in that. Uh, and the machine that was doing a lot of that work is behind these uh, these benches and you can see a bunch of the uh, shield components there. Um, on the other side here, you can see uh, a water jet. This is uh, probably one of our heaviest used machines. And, and the reason is it's, it's just a really useful machine. It, it, it cuts just about anything. It'll cut glass, foam, paper, wood, metal, carbon fiber, um, pretty much anything. Uh, it uses a really, really high pressure stream of uh, about, about 60,000 PSI uh, water uh, and, and a, a very fine abrasive, if you want to, to cut right through basically anything. And it's computer programmable. And the, the great thing about it is it's not only is it computer programmable, it is relatively easy to, to program. So students can come in uh, with a part that, that needs to be cut on a flat piece of, of material, and they can go from their CAD drawing, their computer drawing, to, to cutting in, in usually a few minutes. Uh, and then you know a few minutes later, they have a part. So uh, really a very um, exciting machine to have around. Uh, probably one of our, our heaviest used machines because typically at the beginning, you have to cut your parts down to size or, or get a rough uh, shape of something. And uh, that typically is one of our very first machines that we use. Um, over here uh, is sort of the general workspace area. Now th this looks a little different because this this these pictures were taken during um, COVID-19. Uh, uh, well, not during, but probably when we were just starting to uh, ramp down production. Uh, actually, that's that's all the uh, dust extraction uh, ductwork that's going that's now installed in our wood shop. <laughs> um, so uh, over here is usually all these workbenches are set up in little pods, and uh, you can see we have power reels and air reels and lights mounted above the work area here. So this is normally where students set up and work. So they come into the space. They pick a table and they, they sit down at the table and start working. Uh, and along the wall here, we've got nuts and bolts and fasteners and pins and gauges. It's like a mini hardware store uh, right there. And then these are our computer controlled tool uh, storage. So these boxes have, have a, about $20,000 worth of tools in them. Uh, everything from hammers to micrometers to um, pins uh, to knives and screwdrivers and power tools, uh, all uh, in a computer controlled uh, storage system. So basically we, a student comes up to this box and scans their card and then they have access to the box and they can take out whatever they like. And then the computer records what they took um, and then they put it back and uh, at, when they're done with it. And then we, we, have, we also um, record that they put it back. And we can, even, we can even go as far as recording if they put it back clean or dirty. So uh, the, the beautiful thing that this does is it is a costly system, but we have hundreds and hundreds of students use this workshop every day and pretty much walk up to this set of tools uh, at any point in the day. And every tool is always exactly where it belongs. Uh, and I don't know um, if you've ever worked in other shops before, but that almost never happens. And it, it is... Uh, business as usual uh, in, in our shop. So this is, uh, it's wonderful to always find things where, where, where they belong. Um, behind these tools, uh, these benches are some of our laser cutters. Uh, these again are some of our heaviest used machines. Um, they're not super high, high power lasers. They, they don't really cut metal, but they cut plastics, foams, foils, acrylics, woods. Uh, and uh, you know, we're not, we're not always about uh, producing a, a, final product here where a lot of times we're about prototyping and <clears throat> prototyping um, being usually one of the first physical stages of a project uh, a lot of times that is about um, cost about making sure that you can do things in a costly cost effective way uh, so we often encourage our students to build prototypes um, from materials that are not the final material so they can do it very, uh, in essence, they can do it cheaply 
so that they can kind of verify that their concept is correct before they spend a lot of money and prototype it in the final material or a metal or something like that. So oftentimes students are directed to that kind of technology first. Um, let's see if we can go back over to our 3D printing room. Uh, 3D printing room, it's behind that machine. So this is a Makerspace 3D printing room. And uh, in here, we house uh, high-end 3D printers. Um, basically, we, ha we have a number of different kinds of 3D printers in the space. If you look at these orange ones on the left here, uh, those are laser-based uh, resin printers. And on the left, we have um, extrusion-based uh, FDM 3D printers. We have a really big 3D printer in front of us here. And then trying to see if you can see it. It's a little hard to see from this view. Um, but in the very back uh, is a metal 3D printer. Um, this was a collaboration between uh, NGIT and Stryker Orthopedics. Um, Stryker uh, donated a machine to NGIT. This is a very expensive machine, uh, somewhere around three quarters of a million dollars. Um, and they, in exchange for that donation, we basically have also have been performing research that helps them and helps the scientific uh, and medical community. So there are a lot of really interesting things you can do with 3D printed implants. Um, one of the things that are, is really exciting about uh, 3D printed implants is you can make them hollow in some cases so they can be lighter. Uh, and one of the main reasons we want to 3D print implants is 3D printing has the capability to create um, a structure on the surface of a part that is almost like a sponge. So it has a lot of tiny little holes in it. And uh, those holes are places that bone will grow into. And we really can't make that structure any other way than 3D printing. Um, well, we can, but it, it takes massive amounts of time in other technologies. So we're interested in 3D printing implants. Um, and what we are doing is research on making the printer itself and the, the processing after the part is printed faster and faster and faster so that it becomes a more viable uh, technology for 3D printing implants. Um, now, there are tons of 3D printed implants on the market today. Uh, plenty of them have been uh, put into people, uh, but uh, they are kind of used uh, in, a, in a bit of a niche market right now, kind of only when they're absolutely needed because they are still quite a bit more expensive than um, than a, a traditionally manufactured implant. And the idea is to uh, change that in the future. Uh, let's go over here. This is, um, wow, we've done a lot of work on this room since, uh, since we took these pictures a couple months ago. So this is, uh, this is our fundamental machining room. Um, this is, uh, probably the least technological room in, in the makerspace. Um, in here, like you'll actually, these machines on the left, uh, these are refurbished machines that were initially manufactured in the 1950s. Uh, now, if you walk up to them now, you will think they're a couple years old, uh, but they were built initially in the 1950s and we had them remanufactured. Um, these are old school machinist uh, hand uh, operated machines. Um, and the reason we have them is that, that there in sometimes is no replacement for being able to do something uh, manually. Uh, and so we teach our students uh, in this space both how to use computer-operated machinery uh, and how to do things manually. Um, sometimes manually is just faster. Sometimes it makes sense. Uh, sometimes it does not. But uh, we, uh, we want to teach uh, students the roots of where everything has come from and also be able to teach them some, some basic uh, hand and machining skills. Uh, and this is... Believe it or not, even though it's not computer control, this is actually one of our heaviest requested uh, rooms to be used by students because um, it, it is really a, a good sense of accomplishment when you learn to do something manually uh, and do it yourself uh, and get it working. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a skill uh, to learn, but it is also very, uh, very fun in, in a number of ways. Um, so let's see, we go to the rear. Okay, and now, now uh, we are transitioning into um, the new building. Uh, now this building is not open yet. Um, 
but it is almost open. Uh, so here, let's go outside so I can show you where it is. So this is outside of GITC. Uh, in front of you, right in front of you now, uh, this is where we were. Uh, and now we are going into this new building. So if you were here about two years ago, this, this building uh, was not there. So this building connects on the inside. There's a connection on the top floor and on the bottom floor. Uh, and this is a new building for the makerspace. Um, and uh, we will be opening it shortly, uh, within the next few weeks. Um, yeah, absolutely, within the next few weeks. Um, so this building, uh, is a complement to the existing makerspace. Um, if you sort of think about the theme of the existing space, the space we were just looking through, it is very industrial. And, and there's, a, there's a lot that you can do with that kind of industrial uh, equipment. Um, but the theme of this space is actually less industrial and more around uh, group work, more around prototyping, and more around uh, uh, less heavy equipment. Uh, equipment. Uh, basically, we're trying to make this a slightly friendlier space that has slightly less dangerous equipment in it, that has uh, really, really open access. So the hope is in the long run, we'll be able to keep this building open 24 seven um, and uh, let students basically work in this space when, when they want to. Uh, and we will have a lot, a lot lighter duty equipment in this space. So when you enter here, we have a, um, a front reception desk. Uh, we have, uh, this will look a little, well, it already looks a little different, but um, you can see as we're walking around, we have a lot of sort of um, soft seating type furniture. So there's a lot of spaces that students can kind of uh, work in an inspiring environment and sit down in a comf uh, comfortable environment and and uh, work on things, talk uh, with uh, talk with other students, um, and look at uh, modeling things and uh, brainstorming uh, with other students. Um, these rooms that you can see ahead of me on on the ground floor uh, are uh, breakout rooms. On the right is a breakout room. That room will have a well does have a television in it, uh, like a flat screen and a like a conference type table for students to kind of. Uh, they can reserve that room or come and work in that room so they can get a quiet place with a big screen that they can sit down with two or three other students. Hopefully when we're allowed to do that again, uh, they can sit down with two or three other students and they can work together on brainstorming. There's whiteboards in these rooms. Uh, they're very, uh, they're designed for students to collaborate. Um, this room on the left will be our printing room and our machine uh, demo and training room. And behind that room, um is is a classroom uh, so a, a formal uh, classroom in the space where we can do trainings uh, we used to do trainings in in the space we started in uh but uh you know sometimes trainings in there were, were difficult with the machinery around so certain kinds of trainings will now take place in our in our classroom and then we have a, a mezzanine uh, up here um so we can go up there and uh you can see the same thing. We've got lots of places for students to sit down and uh, I don't want to say relax, but they certainly could, uh, but relax, enjoy themselves and uh, learn and collaborate. Um, we will have 3D printers on this on this level as well. And then we have two more of these collaborative breakout rooms in the back. And um, I, I don't think the, the floor above us was ready when we were taking all these pictures, but if you were to go up these stairs uh, on the floor above us is going to be uh, another general purpose area. There's three more of these breakout rooms and there is about a 3,500 square foot uh, space, which has work tables, laser cutters, 3D printers, uh, electronics equipment, test and measurement equipment, um, everything down to simple prototyping things like paper cutters and uh, X-Acto knives to some you know more uh, higher end stuff like uh, computer vinyl cutters and other things. But uh, basically a very well, well uh, staffed and um, well featured uh, prototyping space that's a little bit softer than the current uh, maker space. And then these two are connected um, 
so that students can move back and forth between them. Uh, and we we are just very excited. This this space should be opening in the next couple of weeks. It actually already looks uh, a bit uh, a bit more lived in than than right now. Uh, there's equipment uh, in in some of these rooms already. Um, anyway, I think that concludes uh, the virtual tour. So I want to uh, bring it back to Mike, and I think I think Mike, we have some time for questions and answers, if that's correct, right? We definitely do. Dan, thanks so much for doing this. Of course, I really appreciate it and all the leadership that you've exhibited uh, in bringing Makerspace to where it is today. Uh, our first question we got was uh, from an alumnus who's viewing it. Are there recognized hobbyists or groups within Makerspace that work towards fun projects or goals? I think uh, this is a broad question, right? So who can use it and what can they use it for? And you know, is it fun as well as being interesting and, and very hard engineering? Yeah, so it, it absolutely is. So um, I do think that's a broad question. So uh, the the short answer is the makerspace can be used by everyone that's a member of the NGIT community. And uh, right now that does not include alumni, but it will soon. Um, the longer answer is that the campus as a whole has clubs uh, and some of those clubs and organizations uh, build things. So, for example, we have a team that builds an off-road vehicle. We have a team that builds a, an airplane. We have teams that build concrete canoes and steel bridges. We have teams that build little tiny race cars up to big race cars. We have teams that um, we have teams uh, focused around cosplay and building costumes and props and all sorts of historical uh, recreations of things. And so, you know. When when we were not in a pandemic, uh, right, let's say right in the end, very beginning of February last year, if you came into this every day, you would see something different. One day you would see someone building a little model. Next day you'd see someone building, um, you know, a mask with all sorts of, you know, to, like uh, to portray a character in, in you know, um, sci-fi or something like that. The next day you'd see someone working on an engine part. The next day you'd see someone uh, welding something, you know, so it, it, it is, uh, it is our intention and it is the reality that it, it goes everything from the very industrial to the very, uh, art type side. And, and you find that there are students building their own, uh, communities around, around making, uh, in the space. So Dan, one of the, um, one of the questions that has come up over and over again, and I hear this from alumni all the time. How did this happen, right? So I, I know there's a, a most of our alums walked past that space. They maybe they kind of remember it uh, from what it used to be, which was a very industrial-looking setting. Um, so so they're wondering how did we go within the space of you know three years, four years from this kind of unused space to this amazing cutting-edge uh, uh, space, and and how did we get all of this stuff coordinated to do so? Uh, you and I both know. Uh, higher ed can be challenging sometimes to make quick changes and kind of pull things together. But clearly this is an initiative that um, is highly successful and highly visible. So how did it come about and how did you do it? Sure, uh, absolutely. So um, so I've been working at NGIT for, I think this is my eighth year. Uh, and before that, um, I was a graduate student and an instructor at Rowan University. Um, and uh, I've also taught at, at a number of different universities as well um, as an adjunct. And, you know, when I got to NGIT, I, I was very excited. I, I took a position as a faculty member in in our en School of Engineering, Applied Engineering and Technology. At the time was the Department of Engineering Technology. Uh, and I was teaching for about two years. And, and I'll tell you, the most frustrating thing that happened to me routinely was uh, students came up to me with ideas they had and asked for help. Uh, and I could help them on a, a theoretical level. I could help them with concepts and ideas, but I had no nowhere to help them uh, build something actually. Uh, so that was a problem. Um, and coincidentally, at the same time that I was that that tension in myself was really building, um, we we got a new dean. Uh, dean Moshi Cam came to the university and. Um, you know, knowing what I know about academia, I, you know, usually when you hire a new dean or you hire a new president or you hire a new provost, you hire a new executive, uh, they, they're typically treated pretty well, you know, because you, they, 
we hire them to help implement their vision and get things done. So uh, the dean and I sat down, we talked about our pain points at the university, and it turns out in his research and in my experience, we, we both very much agreed that we needed something like this. Um, and uh, we, we were gonna shoot smaller, but uh, you know, we saw this beautiful space just kind of collecting dust in NJIT, and um, we decided might as well not start small. Let's 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 shoot for the moon. And uh, we we didn't have to fight really anyone at the university to get them to agree that having this was a good idea. You know, when we spoke to the president, when we spoke to the provost, we were pretty easy uh, e easily able to show them why this would be great to have. the The problem was the price tag and getting that accomplished, and, and then so that became the fight. It became the fight to to write grants, to talk to senators uh, and assemblymen, to bring in politicians, to um, to just look for ways that we could fund it. Um, and we we were starting to commit to funding it internally, but it was it was never going to move as quickly with internal funding uh, because we just didn't have you know, liquid amounts of that amount of cash that we could just divert from other priorities at the university. So um, we started with our own money uh, and we had bro broke it up into a number of small phases. Uh, and then, um, you know, great timing. Uh, one of our grants that we had uh, applied to, uh, to the state of New Jersey to at the time, Governor Chris Christie, uh, he approved it uh, and that gave us $10 million um, to start working on re on recreating this facility. And so a chunk of that helped finish the construction and equipment on the first phase, and a chunk of that paid for the building that uh, we just looked at. So Dan, uh, one of the things that I've noticed, and it's, it's very easy for me to sort of sell how great this facility is, but we are literally cutting edge. We are definitely a leader in the field, the making community, the makerspace facility. Yes. Uh, are we, does this really put us number one in New Jersey and and regionally as well in terms of the sort of technology that we have at our fingertips and also the size and scale of what we can accomplish? Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. So um, there are a couple big names in, in maker spaces uh, academically uh, in the country. Um, and the first is we're, we're one of the new players that has a big, a big maker space. Um, but technologically, space-wise, uh, we are certainly in the like I would say the top ten in the country. Um, we are still one of the newest. I mean, there are, there are little maker spaces popping up everywhere. Um, give me one second. My I just got plug plug in. <laughs> um, we are um, certainly we're certainly at the top few in the country in terms of technology. Um, and, and there are still areas for us to catch up in because we're new, you know, our campus is constantly changing because of this. So um, we are, you know, in the top few in the region, top few in the country, uh, space-wise and technology-wise, we are cutting edge, again, the top couple in the country. The, the thing that I think NGIT has to work on, um, but we are working on it is 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 adoption on a large scale by our our students and faculty so we we have a community that uses this space on campus large so we we've trained about 23 2400 students and we've been open about two well that was prior to COVID, so that was about a year and a half so that that's a lot that means we you know we were training a lot we were training a thousand plus students per semester uh, and that's great, um, but you know we have room to grow. So we, the dean and I, and the other people that work in hands-on learning at the university, are uh, constantly advocating for our professors and our departments and our curriculum to adopt more and more hands-on. And that's that's a major uh, undertaking. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, uh, hands-on learning has has its real benefits, but. It also has its real challenges, and I think that NJIT has committed to that, uh, especially within our college with the dean and I's uh, leadership in that. We've committed to that um, wholeheartedly. Uh, it just uh, it just takes time, and we can we can already see the benefit that that's having to our students.
their abilities and to their uh, their skill. Uh, so I think uh, you know if you if you come and look at this facility in two or three years, four or five years, um, not only will the facility be richer, but I think you'll see a a continued and drastic change in the way we do education here based on it because um, just having this has already changed the way lots of professors are teaching uh, and it, it has no signs other than that that's going to continue. Now, Dan, uh, one of the things you mentioned, which is near and dear to my heart, is the support of Stryker Corporation for Makerspace. Stryker has a group of extremely active alumni who are there the chairman of our board of trustees is a senior guy at Stryker, uh, but the company itself is very supportive. So I wonder, is it on the horizon for you to be reaching out to corporations, to be reaching out to different organizations that might be able to not just donate items, but also to generally partner with Makerspace? And how can we help get the word out about that to our alumni and the community at large in terms of becoming involved? Sure. Uh, and ab absolutely. There are a number of ways that organizations can get involved, and we also want to be involved with those organizations. So um, Stryker is a great example. Um, and the example with Stryker goes beyond just their equipment donation. Um, so let me explain some of the ways we've interacted with Stryker, and we can continue and start to interact with other corporations in that way, um, whether they be local or, or national. So um, Stryker kind of started, well, Stryker has had a long tie to NJIT, one, because they're local. Uh, you know, some of their facilities are local. Uh, and as you said, Robert Cohen, uh, a big part of NJIT is an alumni and, uh, you know, uh, really loves this university uh, and, and makes it a, a, a priority of his and I think his company is to to coordinate together and that, you know, we both see the benefits from that. Um, so they have donated equipment and they also have brought uh, experts from their company into our makerspace to host uh, little, little events in the makerspace. So we've had like an industry night in our space where we would invite students in uh, and they would have an expert from their company come in and talk about some of the technology we have in the space, how it's utilized in industry, why learning these skills is important and how it makes you marketable. Uh, and then they have also sponsored research here through faculty members that takes place not just within the makerspace, but uh, within the campus. Um, so th those are three really good examples of how we can be involved with companies, but there are also more. Um, we have also coordinated with local companies to, to help them understand technologies that they may not have access to. So for example, um, we have a wire EDM machine. Some companies do not have access to that kind of machine. Uh, so they will come and meet with one of our staff members here and some students, they may decide to sponsor a project uh, at the university uh, where a student works on a project over the course of uh, a semester or two semesters. And, and the culmination of that project might be some some learning that helps that company decide whether they want to invest in a machine like that or whether they can utilize a student to help them learn something that, that they are not proficient at their company. You know, co companies sometimes um, get involved in a way where they know how to do things and they know how to do it one way, but sometimes they can use uh, fresh insight. And so we have helped a few companies in that way. Um, and uh, the, the, the big take home message is we, we just always want to interact with, with our local and national industry. You know, uh, you can see from the, the variety of equipment we have and the variety of things that we do um, that we, we, we interact with them for things that we purchase and keep using. But um, we want to interact with industry. We want to bring them in, let that industry have access to our students, let our students have access to the industry, learn from each other. Uh, sponsor and support each other and, and really have a community where where there is an open dialogue between local and national uh, companies that that are involved in making and you know in the in industry that is more manufacturing um, and production but uh, for us since we're focused on prototyping typically it's we call it making well and I, I want to call that out specifically too we just had a comment from an alumnus who talked about uh, how he had an MSEE, which required a project that turned into two years in his uh, EE professor's lab. Uh, and he said, you know, I love that you've got support for mechanical and makerspace. And, and I love this 
area myself because our alumni cover so many different bases, right? And it's electrical and it's chemical and it's, it's so many other things that go into this. Makerspace seems to be really a conjunction of so many different parts of engineering, of science and technology that comes together to actually produce something. So it's, it's good to see that. And I want to remind all of our viewers right now, if you're interested, please type in your names into the comments and I'll be happy to follow up with you for, with some more information about Makerspace. I also want to point out that if you would like to support Makerspace in any way, you can visit the link that's scrolling at the bottom there and you're more than welcome to not just make a donation, but also to find out a little bit more. And Dan, I want to bring that back to you maybe for our, our last question here. So let's say you're the alum. You're out there, you're doing what you're doing in the world. And you said, yeah, I, I love the idea of Makerspace. I love that I've seen this tour. I would love to take the next step. So what would you recommend to them? And just to touch on a question we did receive in our comments as well, can they bring their own tools if they visited Makerspace? Sure. Um, so uh, there's there's two things I want to touch on. You, one, you said something about electrical. And I just wanted to, to let that gentleman know, because I, I can't see the chat right now, but uh, that what the floor that's above what you might see on my screen right now will have quite a bit of electrical prototyping uh technology in it um and we do have some electrical prototyping equipment um and measurement equipment that is also going to be installed in another another future expansion of the space uh and then what you're saying about um bringing your own tools uh you absolutely can bring your own tools we um we typically like to kind of check out the tools that uh that people bring in um it's not it's not an issue to bring your own tools here uh but uh you know we just sometimes we do want to make sure that they're safe you know so uh, typically if if you're bringing a bunch of tools in we will just have someone look at them quickly um you know we do we don't want someone using an unsafe tool or something like that around us uh, but other than that you know everything is is fairly open here it is really a community um you'd be surprised uh that you know one of our biggest I don't want to say fears. One of our biggest areas where we spent a lot of time thinking about when we when we uh, started designing this space was safety. Um, and in the beginning, we thought we were going to need to heavily supervise everything. And we do supervise a lot. But what we do find is that as we kind of educate people how we want them to behave in here, people do seem to to take it to heart. And we get a lot of self-policing going on. So you know, uh, it's it's not uncommon to to have someone on that is supervising, uh, and then another student sees someone doing something that might be questionable, and they they interject before we even get to it. Uh, and that that's actually what we want here. We want students to learn from each other. We want them to be a community. We want people to try things, um, and we want them to be safe at it. And uh, what we have really found is that we we put an enormous amount of trust in our students here. I think. Uh, I think see how hard the staff here is working to keep this place accessible for everyone. And it, it's, I think it's reciprocated in the, the attitude of most of the students that come through it. Well, Dan, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This is a mark of pride for alumni. It's certainly a mark of pride for the school. And I'm personally very proud to see how this has moved forward. And I give you, your team, the College of Engineering and Dean Cam, a tremendous amount of credit for moving this forward. I also want to give another quick shout out to our corporate sponsors, Stryker in particular, uh, for being such generous and great partners to us. We're always looking yep. for more and you know, we welcome more involvement from that audience. So hey, Mike, I, I have one question if we have a moment for, for the alumni that are, that are watching. Um, so, uh, and uh, certainly we don't need answers now, but uh, you can reach us. You can email us at makerspace at njit.edu, or you can go through Mike. But we are looking at having a, an alumni membership. And what we don't know yet is exactly what that would look like. So if there are any alumni that are watching or that you have uh, contact with Mike that um, are interested in becoming members of the makerspace, uh, we we would like to maybe hear from them um, just to see, you know, what uh, how some of our potential plans might sound to them before we kind of settle on something. So um, again, we, we want this to be a community for, for everyone that's a part of NGIT. The alumni are certainly a very proud part uh, of our community. And um, we want to design something that will benefit them um, with, with an alumni membership. So, uh, you know, we don't know what that looks like yet, but we are, we are just in the process of starting to consider how to do that. 
Dan, you just did something that is my absolute favorite part of any Highlander chat. I can say to all the viewers here, you heard it here first. Deborah Harris, Director of Experiential Learning at Makerspace, is inviting alumni participation to figure out how we can create something that's really going to engage alumni with Makerspace in a way that's very effective. Uh, I will follow up with all of the alums who have registered and are participating here today. And Dan, thank you so much for sharing that. Let's be in touch about this because I know our alums are very, very interested in participating and helping you lead this. Wonderful. That's exactly what I want to hear. <laughs> All right, so Dan, thanks again for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks, Mike. Thank you everyone who joined. So again, my name is Mike Small and I'm Executive Director of the Alumni Relations Office at NJIT. And this has been our latest Highlander chat, a live virtual tour of NJIT Makerspace. We have uh, more than 40 of our live interactions, our Highlander chats and our college related events on our YouTube channel, as well as on our podcast channel, which you can find at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can visit our website at njit.edu slash alumni for more information. And again, as a reminder, to all of our participants and viewers for this particular event. Makerspace is a tremendous point of pride for the school. It's also a great opportunity for many of our alumni and students or prospective students to come back and become involved in our campus. So please do make sure to check out the links that have been scrolling at the bottom to find out more, or you can visit njitmakerspace.com for more information. As I like to say at the conclusion of all of our Highlander chats, go Highlanders!